Ollie was at the wheel, but he wasn't a great driver. There were too many passengers and the car was put together by people who understand the value of shiny paint and eye-catching extras, but they don't really know how the engine works. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been sacked by Manchester United, but someone we'd never sack is the betting expert Mark O'Hare. Mark, Solskjaer's assistant, Michael Carrick, has stepped up while United look for an interim boss. But it's a sign, isn't it, of how far the club's fallen that they've already said that they're looking for an interim appointment till the end of the season. This is Manchester United. You would think they have the resources and the pull to be able to get the coach that they want but that simply isn't the case these days yeah um, I think the whole process has been bizarre inept and and naive on United's part Um, I think Solskjaer was given a three year deal in the summer Um, yeah everyone could see (laughs) yeah I mean even us mere mortals could see it was was the wrong decision and the wrong way to go down but uh, United have been performing below expectations and underachieving for quite some time but uh, I think to do the deed the first game after the international break kind of says it all about what Man United are right now as a club and the direction they're going um, presumably if United had scraped a draw against Watford he'd still be in a role so you know I don't really know there's reports suggesting that they were looking for replacements after the Liverpool game but surely the, the right time to do it was before the international break so you've got that time with the players I know they all go off for an international duty but probably a bit more time to, to plan and prepare for the game against Watford because it didn't look like there was a a plan or a preparation in place for that match. Um, simply appalling from start to finish, really. It's now four wins from 13. David De Gea, I think, described it perfectly by saying it was just a, another embarrassment of a game. And um, yeah, I think uh, Harry Maguire's second yellow card kind of encapsulated as well where Man United are right now. Like, what was he thinking? What was the idea? What was he trying to do? No one seems to know, really. So um, yeah, Michael Carrick's taking over. Um, is there going to be a, a sea change in approach? I don't think so, uh, because basically the whole coaching staff remains the same. It's just Ollie's taken the hit and, and left. But um, yeah, there seems to be no direction at the club right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I look at the price. They've drifted a hell of a lot since the opening show away to uh, Villarreal this midweek. But uh, I'm really interested to see where the market goes in the next 24 hours before the game to see if they do start to see a bit more support or if they continue to drift because I don't see anything dramatically changing between what we saw on Saturday at Vicarage Road and what we saw and what we will see in Villarreal. I still think United are a disorganised rabble defence I still think they've got quality in forward areas, but I think in, if you're looking for a bet, um, it certainly leads us towards uh, what I think will be quite an open, exciting and entertaining game. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, Mark, isn't it? Because they haven't actually changed the coaching staff at all. The guys who've been taking the daily sessions are still the same guys. So you can't imagine there's going to be some genius idea they come up with. And you just wonder if effectively it's just going to be the players who take over. Yeah, I mean, I th- you don't want to read too much between the lines, but the, the word I'm getting, I think the players were, were largely respectful of Solskjaer and kind of enjoyed him for, for most time, but it seems to be something's changed this term and whether that's Ronaldo signing and, and he's kind of seen that uh, Solskjaer probably isn't cut out for top to top level management. I'm not sure, but yeah, he seems to be taking the hit for what's been a, a systematic kind of letdown at United right now. And you're right, I, I don't see anything changing. Why, why would it? Because the same guys are taking the sessions, the same guys are planning 
preparing the team for the match in Spain. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't be touching United at those prices, even if they have drifted out to 2.5 or so from from sort of just a, a shade of uh, odds against when uh, on the opening show. But uh, I think defensively, they're, they're an absolute mess right now. And that midfield needs a whole overload or sorry, overhaul. Um, but, uh, you know, money's been spent in the wrong places and seems to continue to do so. The data doctor, Jake Oscarthorpe, is in from In for Goal. Jake, we all saw Solskjaer's sacking coming eventually, but what do you make of this game in Spain from a betting perspective? Yeah, just echo everything Mark said, really. I think he's, he's hit the nail on the head. I think, I think the only people that didn't see that sacking Solskjaer was the best thing for the club was the actual club itself. Because we said at the start of the season, when we were talking about title contention in the Premier League, Chelsea, you got Liverpool, you got City, but Man United were, we all agreed they weren't going to challenge for the title because they got Solskjaer as their manager and he's not an elite coach. And ultimately, what, you know, it, it moves on. We've said already that the, the, the sort of the backroom staff are taking over. There's still the same people. Carrick's in there. Fletcher's going to get involved. And I'm not expecting too much to change overnight, really, because ultimately they're playing against a Villarreal team who are. Pretty good. They're a good side. Um, they're going to have the advantage in the dugout on Tuesday night because Unai is a better coach than whoever will take charge of Manchester United for that game. Um, and when we look at the Champions League games this season, Villarreal should be top of that group based on expected goals. They're averaging nearly 2.7 expected goals for per game, our Villarreal, so they're creating a hell of a lot of chances. And, and we saw that at Old Trafford. I mean, they went to Old Trafford and really should have won that game. They were really yeah. unfortunate not to come away with three points. The XG total said it. I think they racked up two and a half XG on the road at Old Trafford. Um, and, you know, they're coming up against the United team that are just a mess. Defensively, they're just so easy to play against. They don't know whether they want to play a back three, whether they want to play a back four. The two holding midfielders don't really do any holding. Um, and ultimately, they should be third in, in, in the Champions League group. They've, they've been really fortunate they've ridden the look they've relied heavily on Ronaldo who scored a couple of really crucial goals obviously a couple of late a late equaliser against Atalanta a late winner against Atalanta and obviously the late winner against Villarreal all of his goals have been crucial to them top of the group and and we look at their XG process they're allowing 1.7 expected goals against per game in a Champions League group that when you look at United's squad on paper they should be breezing this group. I mean, you know, you compare them to, for example, Liverpool, who've already wrapped up winning their group in a group with yeah. Atletico Madrid, AC Milan and Porto, and United are sort of struggling to get over the line again in a group with Villarreal, Atalanta and Young Boys. And it just kind of shows you where they are um, and, and ha- what kind of level they're at. So for me, I'm just looking at opposing them in any way I can. And um, I think, like Mark said, I think there could be quite a high scoring game here. But given all the defensive issues United have had, I'm more than happy to try and get Villarreal on side and um, at the prices you can get Villarreal plus a quarter on the Asian handicap at around 1.84 so that means that if Villarreal get the win we get a nice winner if Villarreal draw um, the game then we get a half win and the only way we lose is if Manchester United actually go to Spain and win and, and I just can't see that happening given the way in which they're defending Let's move on to the other game in that group which is Young Boys against Atalanta Atalanta denied at the last by Cristiano Ronaldo uh, uh, in both games uh, against Manchester United looked as though they were going to take a win in Italy and had to settle for a a point. I'm delighted to say that we're joined once again by odds compiler and betting guru Mark Stinchcomb. Stinch, this feels like a must win for both teams, really. Yeah, Atalanta need to win to make sure that they can stay in the competition regardless of what the other results are. So they, you know, they can't afford to 
relax on on what happens in the other game. I mean, their final group game is against Villarreal anyway, so really they want to be going into that having won this, um, not having, I say, not having to rely on others. I think their price is quite generous, to be honest. I mean, they're currently uh, 17 to 20 to, to win in Young Boys. And when you look at the odds that they go off in Syria away from home, it seems quite inflated to me. So they were 1 to 2 away at Cagliari, 4 to 5 at Sampdoria, 8 to 13 at Empoli, 2 to 7 at Salernitana, and 8 to 15 at Torino. Yeah, they're a bigger price than all of those teams away to Young Boys. And Young Boys are suffering a little bit at the moment. It's just one win in seven across all competitions. Um, top scorer Christian Fashnacht is out injured. Uh, last season, top scorer and Same, he's only just resumed training after six months out with a ruptured Achilles. So they're going to be missing both of those players. And since Atalanta won the reverse fixture at the end of September, they've been scoring goals for fun. They scored 23 in the nine games. So, yeah, I just think Atalanta at this price uh, are definitely worth a bet because I don't think young boys are better than that kind of list of Serie A teams that, that I read out. Yet yeah, the odds are the bigger than, than what's available. Um, Gasparini, as we know, is a, is a good coach and obviously taking Atalanta to the knockouts before and it's got a very good chance of, of doing it again, I believe, with, with the fate in their own hands. Jake, is that the way you see this one? Because young boys, I know they beat Manchester United, but that's not that hard these days, it seems. Um, <laughs> but domestically, a stint share is not as dominant as you'd like to like to think and they're just not quite the team that they were under Gerardo Seoane I don't think exactly yeah and, and there's no doubt about it that they're the worst of the, of the four teams in this group and I was hugely surprised like Stinge to see the price of Atalanta I think it's massive um, you know when we factor in everything about Atalanta the way in which they've been attacking of late the way in which they've been scoring goals creating chances and then on the flip side, young boys and how poor they've looked defensively. I mean, in the last three Champions League games, they've conceded XG totals of 2.56, 3.41 and 2.7. So they're just conceding chances for fun in this group. Um, and, you know, when we look at the reverse game, it was a narrow Atalanta win. I think they won 1-0, but the XG total was just so heavy in Atalanta's favour. I think young boys managed just a couple of shots equating to 0.08 expected goals in that game. And Atalanta well up over two and a half XG. So there's a massive gulf between these two teams. And I think that gulf isn't really shown in this price. I would expect it to be a lot closer to maybe 1.75 than it is to um, to, to what we've got now around 1.94, which I think is just massive. And, and yeah, it really is a, a great bet, I think. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So Betfair's now offering no cash out suspensions on match odds over under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there is a penalty. Massive game between Chelsea and Juventus that will probably decide top spot uh, in that group. Chelsea need to win at Stamford Bridge. They're 1.73 favourites to take the win. Mark, we were very bullish uh, about Chelsea's chances at Leicester on the Premier League pod uh, just before the weekend's action. And they look very, very good against Leicester. 
<laughs> they did, yeah. Uh, ruthless, uh, complete control of the game from the very first minute, really. Um, Leicester were poor, appalling, it must be said, but it could have been five, six or seven. They had goals disallowed and just sheer dominance, really. And uh, I think Tuchel's team showed basically all the hallmarks of a, of a side that's well capable of challenging for much more silverware this season, not just the Champions League, but domestically too. Um, defensively, they've been superb and the, man, the way in which they've coped without Lukaku and I know Timo Werner was on the bench at the weekend um, has been exemplary, really. And, you know, you go back to the reverse game when they lost in Turin. That was the second of back-to-back defeats, really, and questions were being asked. Uh, they've since responded with seven wins and two draws across all competitions, conceding just twice uh, two non-penalty goals, I should say. Uh, I laboured that. I've laboured that point quite a lot this season, actually, about their defensive record and the goals they're giving away. I did the sums again before the podcast. Uh, if you cover the Premier League and the Champions League, Chelsea have conceded just three non-penalty goals in 16 games. Now, 16 games is the equivalent of 24 hours worth of football, and they've conceded three non-penalty goals, which is utterly remarkable, really. So It's mad, um, isn't it? When, when you think that... Because it feels as if it's all about structure. Yes, they've got Thiago Silva, they've got top-class defenders, but it does feel like a team effort, that, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. Uh, and Jake will, will sort of um, tell us all about the, the underlying numbers because they are superb as well. The fact that they, they defend from the front, but it's complete control in possession and, and the way in which the game plays out, really, you can almost see uh, Tuchel's game plans just sort of being played out on the field and you compare and contrast it to what we see with, with United and Solskjaer. It's, it's chalk and cheese, really. And it happened overnight, which is what's quite remarkable as well from Thomas Tuchel. Very first game against Wolves on that, uh, I think it was on Monday night football. He reverted to a back three and you could almost see straight away the plan in place was was being played out on the field so yeah they need to score twice here and win to retake the top spot in the group Juventus have got the goal scored and the goal difference edge as well as the head-to-head and they're playing Malmo and Turin in the final game so I'm expecting Juventus to come here and, and try and shut up shop grind things out um, certainly they have looked a bit more old school Juve under Allegri recently uh, they stifled Lazio the weekend in a 2-0 win I didn't give much away. Subanucci penalties wasn't a great game for Serie A standards, uh, but they've been in decent form since mid-September. Ten wins from fourteen, clean sheets in half of those matches. However, they do have injury issues. Uh, Dybala being the key, uh, Chiellini as well. Uh, Alexandro has rested. I expect him to come back in because uh, Danilo was stretched off at the weekend as well. But uh, yeah, I'm just expecting Juventus to almost try and perform a, a rinse and repeat job of what they did in the reverse game, which was sit back, contain, counter, use Chiesa's pace and transitions. Chelsea weren't the best in Turin, but uh, Havertz missed a, a great opportunity. They did dominate possession, were a bit sloppy on the ball, but, you know, Werner's back fit again. Lukaku's being talked about being back in the frame as well. So uh, I just expect Chelsea to get the job done. Uh, whether they'll score more than three goals, I doubt. And I just think, you know, we can go back to the podcast table here because Chelsea to win on under three and a half goals at 2.4, I think is really appealing. Um, 41 of their 46 games across all competitions under Tuchel are featured under three and a half goals. Uh, and this wager has paid out in all but five of their wins across all competitions under the German as well. So really strong stats in their favour. Uh, I just think they'll be a bit too strong for Juve. Uh, Stinch, that's been the one, hasn't it? That Chelsea and under three and a half goals bet has come off so many times. And again, it goes back to that incredible structure Tuchel's put in place. We talk about coaches needing time. He came up with that structure on the plane to the first game, which kind of shows you if you are an elite coach, which Tuchel, I think, demonstrably is, you can make a difference straight away. So are we saying that Solskjaer, when he travels by plane, he just watches films? (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, I think that's probably it. But probably not the films he intends to, because he can't quite work the machinery, I would think. I mean, Ollie, Ollie at the wheel is scary enough. Ollie at the controls of a plane is just something entirely different, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're, 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 I mean, you're absolutely right. I don't. I think we've we've given Chelsea plenty of plaudits time and time again. Obviously, their their record speaks for itself since he's he's taken over. I think in the Premier League since since he took over, uh, he's level on points with Man City in terms of expected points return. Obviously, won the Champions League, so can't you know? And that's with without having Lukaku before and given Werner's struggles, you can kind of say that's without an elite striker. Uh, I think one of the impressive things I saw about Chelsea the other day, I think it might be when they played Norwich, every outfield player on the pitch had scored at least one goal. So it also shows that they're not reliant on any single source, which, yeah. which I think is I think is quite good, especially given given the way they, they play. You, you kind of feel as though with that sort of rigid 3-4-3, three, three, it's only the front three that, that are really defined as attacking or attacking midfielders um, so it's quite good that they are able to get the likes of Rudiger, Kante, Rhys James contributing on, on the score sheet I'm kind of siding with Juve a little bit in, in the way I'm going to approach this game just because of the typical kind of Catanaccio European performance I'm envisaging so basically I'm looking at under two and a half goals which when I was looking on Sunday night was four to five. It's since been cut to eight to 11. So maybe, you know, you can see exactly where the money's going there, but you can still get around about 1.9 on, on the exchange. So that, I mean, that looks pretty good to me. I, I mean, if you want to side with Chelsea, Mark's better at 2.4 seems, seems great. You know, um, you've got an extra goal on your side and you just need Chelsea to win. So I think that one's sort of equally as good. I just think, as I say, um, you know, we all saw Italy in, in the Euros. Um, we've seen uh, Benucci and, and uh, his teammates before, the way they throw their bodies on the line. I think it was it was quite well summed up in the in the previous fixture. Chelsea only managed one shot on target, seven shots blocked. And I've just, this kind of the battle that I'm envisaging yeah. here, that Juve are just going to, defend for their lives essentially because I think there's a massive carrot if you can finish top of top of the Champions League group um, if you win your group you could draw one of sort of Lille Villarreal um, Barcelona um, you could say it's quite funny that I mentioned Barcelona in that light but we've all seen the struggles that they've had this season yeah but if you finish second, you know it could be Man City, it could be Liverpool, it could be Bayern Munich so I think this this game is absolutely enormous really and Mark mentions by the fact that actually uh, even a one nil defeat for Juve wouldn't be wouldn't be so bad because of their because of their goal difference. So um, even if they do a goal, go a goal behind, I don't expect them to then come out afterwards either. So um, and we we know Chelsea don't tend to blow teams away particularly the good sides and obviously there's doubts regarding uh, Lukaku's availability I know Werner didn't come off the bench at the weekend I'm not sure that's because they had the game wrapped up maybe um, difficult to difficult to say but if you look at Tuchel at Chelsea in the Champions League outside of the games against Malmo nine out of nine have gone under two and a half goals and the victories against Man City, Real Madrid, Atletico and Porto have all been one nil or two nil 
and across those nine games the average goal scored is just 1.44 so yeah i'm going for going for the unders here because of the the dynamic of the group essentially and the fact that even if chelsea do make the breakthrough again as i say juve will just i think continue to defend well, it's worth bearing in mind that from November the 19th until the 25th, we're doubling our daily rewards, stake £20 on multiples or bet builders over the course of a day. And after the bets have settled, you'll get a free £10 bet to use on multiples or bet builders. Bets must settle within 48 hours. No opt-in required. T's and C's apply. Now, one of the most fascinating groups so far has been Group G. All four clubs can still qualify. The group leaders, Salzburg, take on the French champions, Lille in France. Mark, it's been an amazing group, this. Lots of ups and downs already. Don't think any of us thought Sevilla were going to be bottom of the group going into the final two games. So what do you make of this clash between Lille and Salzburg? It's like you've just read uh, the first two lines of my bullet points here because um, <laughs> I've, uh, I wanted to make the point that Group G looked the dullest on paper coming into the competition, but it's it's probably been the most fun to follow because there's been heaps of goals, heaps of cards, loads of drama, loads of controversy, and with two matches still to play, all four teams could finish top and all four teams can finish bottom. And and yes, Sevilla are bottom of the pack at the moment, and they were the, the sort of pre-tournament favourites to finish top of the pile. So really interesting stuff. And um, yeah, Lille and Salzburg are the top two at the moment. Um, and to be honest, I think whenever you see a goal line set at 2.5, when Salzburg are involved, you have to be interested because they only know one way of playing and they've earned a great reward from playing with a real style and tempo and approach that's caused a lot of teams plenty of problems in this competition uh, over the past sort of two years or so, despite sort of changing coaches as well. Um, and the beauty is Salzburg will always give you an opportunity as well. And if you look at their four Champions League games this season, they've averaged 3.13 expected goals. Salzburg themselves are averaging 2.05 xG, um, and you're talking. Well, they're taking on a, a Lille side who I think have started to grow into the campaign after what was quite a difficult start, a difficult transition towards Jocelyn Guvernek. Um, he's gotten the team playing pretty well recently, uh, not to the same standards of winning the title, but certainly competitive and and showing a lot more in the final third than they probably started the campaign with. Uh, they won away at Sevilla on match day three, two one, uh, and they probably deserve that as well. And they put on a really brave effort away at PSG despite losing. 2-1 uh, before the international break uh, and on Friday they played out a really thrilling 2-2 draw against Monaco they've now scored in 9 of the last 11 and they've only managed 2 clean sheets in that time so you kind of couple that up with Salzburg's expected approach of, of just kind of gung-ho football and then you look at Salzburg's record in the Champions League it's remarkable really going across this includes a few uh, qualifiers but over the last 21 Champions League games over one and a half goals has clicked in all 21. Over two and a half goals has clicked in 17 of 21. And both teams to score have, scored, have landed in 19 of 21. And if you look at this pool, six of the eight games so far, I've seen both teams scoring. So yeah, I'm expecting those trends to continue really, especially so considering the lay of the land. Both teams will view this as a winnable match and a game they should win if they've got realistic ambitions to finish in that top two. So combine both teams to score and over two and a half goals and you're getting a 2.05 shot. Stinch, Bayern hoping to bounce back from their shock defeat at Augsburg on Friday. They visit uh, Dynamo Kiev on Tuesday. Bayern the 1.27 favourites here with Dynamo 14 on the exchange. It's quite a big quality gap here, but motivation may be an issue for Bayern. Potentially, but they still need a point to guarantee finishing top. So I don't think they're going to play. I don't think they'll know how to play the game just going for a draw, if that kind of makes yeah. sense. It's not really Especially, the buy-in way, is it? No, and also I don't think 
they're, I think they'll want to bounce back after Friday. That was obviously a massive uh, shock defeat. And, and for all the sort of buy and plaudits and, and all for the, the records that they seemingly break, they still are only, only one point clear of Dortmund in the Bundesliga. Yeah. And that's a Dortmund side without Haaland at the moment. So it's, it's not, you can't win the league in, in November. Um, but the way Bayern kind of are talked about as if it's sort of done and dusted. I mean, you look at the odds. Bayern, Bayern are one point one to win the Bundesliga. And I don't think anybody would be would be taking that given the circumstances. But that just shows their dominance because that one point. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that one point one. Ultimately, I'm not saying it's a lay. I'm not saying it's a back. I'm just saying you know you wouldn't want to tie your money up for for seven months based on that. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're just going to go to Kiev and and do a professional job and, and get back to to winning ways essentially. I mean, um, on the sports sportsbook buying a one to five to win, which, which suggests that's an eighty three percent chance. So, so my question kind of is, what fashion are they going to win in? Are they going to win with conceding, or are they going to win to nil? And I think it's very difficult to argue that they'll they'll win with conceding based on, as you mentioned, the the huge golf in, in quality. I mean, Kiev have, have failed to score in any of their four games so far. Yeah, Bayern won the, the reverse fixture quite convincingly 5-0. Um, Kiev averaging just 35% possession in, in the tournament uh, and just seven shots per game. And, and in Munich, Kiev only generated an expected goals total of, of 0.3. So Bayern, Bayern win to nil is evens. Bayern to win and both teams to score it is 8-5. to five. Um, I mean, if you think if you think Kiev will score because Bayern's defense hasn't been that watertight, then yeah, go for the, the eight to five. But I'm I'm just going to focus on the fact that I've mentioned before about opposing Russian and, and Ukrainian teams uh, and going with with Bayern uh, winning winning to nil essentially. I have to say one I would maybe keep an eye on team news or wait for the starting lineups. Not as if that price uh, is going to go shorter. I wouldn't say um, there's a few issues regarding the quarantine with. Some of the Bayern players. Yeah, that's right. So uh, Nabri, Muzala, uh, Chupa Moting and Kusens all went into quarantine on Sunday. And yeah, I mean, the way things are going, things are, the, I mean, coronavirus cases across Europe are going up everywhere, um, particularly in Germany. And I still think some of the Bayern players haven't been vaccinated either. So um, yeah. The ones just- you mentioned. The ones you mentioned are ones that haven't been vaccinated so far. So it's believed. So, and yours with yeah. Kimmich, that's why he missed out uh, the game on Friday because Kimmich is unvaccinated and that's why uh, he had to stay in isolation. Yep. Yeah, so I, I would uh, yeah advise caution a little bit and, and maybe just wait for teams uh, just to double check if you if you fancy getting uh, Bayern on side with, without conceding. Uh, wrapping up Tuesday's action, Xavi takes charge of Barcelona for the first time in the Champions League. Their last 16 hopes pretty much hinge on this game against Benfica to a certain extent because they could be in trouble if they lose it. Benfica smacked the Catalans in Lisbon. They weren't great in the win over Espanyol, Mark, were they? No, they really weren't. Um... Xavi obviously coming in changes the mood uh, off the field and I think the structure of the club is starting to correct itself after years of mismanagement with Jean-Luc Laporta presidency and Xavi now as head coach the fans are getting kind of what they wanted really but yeah I mean there was a time when they just walk over Espanyol and the Catalan derby and, and give them very little respect because it was just a routine victory but Saturday night at the Camp Nou was was very different to that they were forced to, to time waste to really sort of cling on to a 1-0 win um, they won the shot count 15-12 but they 
actually lost the XG count um, if you take out the penalty, which was the only goal of the game from Depay. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't great. Um, Espanyol probably were the better team over the full 90. And uh, I think Barcelona's lack of craft, lack of guile uh, and options really and, and, and pace in forward areas really kind of stood out to me. Uh, Dembele's injured again. Ansu Fati, who is kind of the best, next best massive hope in, in forward areas. He's sidelined again. And you look at the 11, it's not massively intimidating. So, yeah, they'll look at the reverse game in Lisbon. They started pretty well. They played a pretty decent actually in the first half and before capitulating in the second half and Koeman made some really strange tactical decisions which didn't help. But um, yeah, it's put them on the back foot now to qualify because their task is pretty clear here. They need to beat ben- Benfica by by three goals basically. Um, and I'm not, not sure that they're, they're set up to do so uh, in their current situ and the players available to them because Benfica are nobody's fools. Um, they'll have been working towards this game for, for quite some time basically just to set up for a straight to be physical, look to contain, look to counter, utilize set pieces, uh, everything we basically talked about with Juventus. I think Benfica will be trying to do so. Um, they've got the ability to, to hurt Barcelona if necessary too, but I do expect them to, to kind of uh, sit back and invite pressure on because we saw Barcelona toil against deep line defences, not just against Espanyol, but it's happened a few times this season. Uh, the Cadiz game uh, rings a bell. But um, yeah, I mean, Benfica end the campaign at home to Dynamo Kiev, so they'll be more than happy to, to back themselves and avoid a, a defeat by more than three goals, I'd say. So um, I think they can keep the scoreline down. I think they can be competitive. I think they can frustrate Barcelona. So I looked at the goals line. You got two and a half at uh, Lille Salzburg which I talked about well it's set at three for this game and uh, this isn't Barcelona of old of Neymar Messi Suarez um, this is a Barcelona team with Depay and, and little else really bar a few emerging players in forward areas so I'm opposing the three goal line um, under three goals uh, on the goal line would be the angle I like to take you need four goals or more to lose your stake uh, just three of Barca's 17 games this season have featured four or more goals and if you look at Benfica's 19 games across league and Champions League uh, only six of 19 have featured four or more goals uh, and by me responsible for, for two of those um as we know, the Portuguese league is is relatively weak and Benfica definitely are the big guns of it anyhow. So, yeah, I think under three goals around 1.8 to 1.85 would be where I'm heading there. Liverpool have been excellent so far in the Champions League. They face Porto. Jake, Liverpool have won a really tough group with two matches to spare. So there is a possibility of rotation here. Porto have actually looked quite impressive, I think, in a lot of their games in the Champions League. Can they take advantage of that? I know that generally Liverpool smack Porto all over the shop, but is it going to be a bit different this time around? Uh, potentially. I mean, the price suggests so because that was the first thing that caught my eye was the fact that you're getting even money on Liverpool at home to Porto. And that, for me, whenever you get Liverpool at Anfield, in the Champions League or Premier League, anywhere near that price, it's almost an automatic bet because I know a couple of years back, Liverpool's sort of what we call them second team, uh, the players that come off the bench, the likes of Shaqiri, Origi, the the drop-off was quite big across the pitch from the starting 11 to to the sort of backups. I don't see it as that big now. I think that they've, they've closed that gap in terms of the quality difference between the starting players and the and the bench players, mainly in midfield. I think that the midfield, the area and the, the sort of squad players they've got there are much stronger. Obviously, if Salah's rested and Mane's rested, that's a big drop-off. But I'm still expecting one or two of those to play just because the, you know, in, we, know, we all know football is a game of momentum and Liverpool have built up a lot of momentum at the moment they're scoring for fun they've obviously just hammered Arsenal at the weekend look really good doing so and um, you know they, they'll want to really put the cherry on top with this group and, and give that Anfield home crowd something to cheer 
Um, and even money, I just thought was was massive. Obviously, Porto, they're in a position where they actually need a result in this game, and that could be quite dangerous because heading to Anfield, needing to get something, whether that be you know if result goes the other way in, in the, the other game in the group, and Atletico Madrid beat AC Milan, then Porto are really staring down the barrel in terms of needing to get a result in both games. So. Having to play on the front foot against Liverpool is never the, the best thing to do, whether it is the first string or the second string. Um, and then you mentioned it, that Porto just don't seem to be able to play against Liverpool whatsoever. That for whatever reason, styles just do not match. They, they can't get a grasp and, uh, and figure out a way to sort of slow them down because in the last five meetings, they've lost by an aggregate score of 16-1. Um, and based on expected goals in those five meetings, Liverpool have averaged over two and a half expected goals per game while allowing just 0.7 expected goals against per game. So it really has been just a, you know, Porto turning up to play Liverpool and just getting absolutely whacked. And I'm not saying it's going to be the same this time around, but I just think at the price, I'm more than happy to chance Liverpool to, to beat Porto at Anfield with a rocking crowd. Um, and, you know, as I've said, the quality difference from a couple of years ago to now between the first team and uh, and the backups, I don't think is that great. So even if there are some rotations, I expect Liverpool to win. One of the most extraordinary prices on the coupon, I think, is Leipzig's price of 2.12 to win at Club Bruges. Stinch, Leipzig have been hopeless away from home under Jesse Marsh. Club Bruges have shown at this level they can compete. There's no doubt about that. They beat Leipzig in Germany. They were the better team in their draw with Paris, that price seems way too short, doesn't it? It does. I think it's probably priced up on perceived quality, shall we say. Yeah. So if the game was played on paper, maybe rather than, than actually how it might turn out. I mean, we've seen Leipzig blow teams away this season. Yeah. Um, but then at the same time, we've seen them massively flop. I, I can't call them. Um, so I'm not, I'm not doing anything in, in the match odds. Um, what I'm going to do here is... Side with my man Hans Vanneken again. Ah uh, oh, yes, I, we're back to Hans. Mar- marvelous. Yeah, I, th- I think he's a bit overpriced. He's four to one anytime, and and given the fact that Bruges are just nine to four to win, it means they're expected to score uh, around about one point three goals. Um, and I, I just think he's uh, he could definitely be uh, be in the in the shout for for one of those goals. Um, I mean, there's. I think there's a chance that Leipzig could could even concede more. Bruges have got a good chance of qualifying. To be fair, if Man City beat PSG and Man City are four to six, Bruges go into that final game with every chance of qualifying, and that would be remarkable, really, considering um, you know they weren't even third favourites. Really, they were they were massive, massive fourth favourites and and huge favourites to finish bottom. So, all credit to them, to be honest. Um, and yeah, Vanneken's record in, in in Champions League has just been phenomenal. He's got 12 goals his last 23 games and it's against high quality opposition. Uh, he scored against City, he scored in reverse fixture against Leipzig, he scored against PSG, Lazio twice uh, and Real Madrid. A uh, good Real Madrid, not not the Real Madrid that we know now. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're still decent. But, still you know, a good side, yeah. Yes, yeah. they're not the, the quite the powerhouse. Um Backed in V City, as, as I said, and he had three shots, which all came inside the box, and he nearly scored, but for the good Edison save that eventually ended up with the with the own goal. Um, he's averaging three shots per game so far in the Champions League, with a, with a healthy two point five coming inside the penalty area. So, 
he gets himself into good areas essentially and he takes penalties which is obviously massive for, for a goal scorer bet and yeah Leipzig have just been shipping goals for fun really they conceded 26 in their 16 league and, and European games it's just three clean sheets which is probably no surprise with the uh, depart departures of the of the two centre-backs and you know Jesse Marsh trying to maybe change the style a little bit or or just trying to bed in more young personnel and, and that's, that's the thing you know we look at Arsenal for example trying to bed in their sort of young defenders and young defence it's not something that's going to maybe can happen overnight and Leipzig have failed to keep a clean sheet of any of their eight away games so yeah I think this is a, a huge opportunity for, for Bruges and I'm just going to continue down down my sustainable edge of uh, Mr Vanneken he loves the sustainable edge, the edge does our stinch. Uh, he's already mentioned, by the way, that Man City are odds on to beat Paris. Uh, Jake, you're going to take a look at this one for us. Now, this is really interesting because City 1.76 to take the win. And I thought they were the better team in Paris. I know they lost to Paris, a bit of messy magic and what have you. But you look at those two teams, City look more likely to go further in the competition than Paris do at the moment, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. They're, you know, it's almost like a. It's, it's. I see it as a like a Liverpool Man United comparison. Like one who's an all round quality team, and one's got really good individuals that can might be able to win you a match. And uh, and yeah, that's Manchester City and PSG because PSG have got you know incredible individual talent in forward areas, but they just don't. They've not figured out a way to play as a team and get a full all-round performance um, going just yet. And Manchester City do that week in, week out. And, you know, they were excellent against Everton. Obviously, blew Manchester United away before the break. And again, you know, they, they're making light work of what is what could have been a difficult Champions League group, mainly through the defensive um, solidity. I mean, four games uh, played and they've allowed just 0.79 expected goals against per game which has come against PSG Leipzig who scored quite a few goals in the Bundesliga and have scored quite a few goals in this group and and obviously Bruges who've, who've not been any pushovers so defensively they've been excellent that's obviously carried over into the Premier League where they're looking really really solid again um, and I think that's going to be for me the key angle in this is, is can Manchester City stop PSG's attacking sort of individuals and um, they did a very good job for the most part in Paris um, they kept them quiet for pretty much the entire game apart from a couple of moments and uh, I think that's going to be very similar this time around where City know that a win will guarantee them top spots that's the, that's the carrot in front of them and PSG know that they kind of need a result to have a little bit of comfort going into the final game and, uh, and um, yeah <laughs> PSG, when we're looking at their at their performances in this Champions League group, they've actually got a minus, a negative XG process. So they're actually allowing more chances than what they're creating based on expected goals on a per game basis, which is you know it's quite staggering when you look at the the, the starting eleven on paper. You you would you would think that they put on much better performances than that. And um, yeah, defensively, PSG are the opposite to Manchester City. City are allowing very little. PSG are looking wide open and they're allowing over two expected goals against per game, which again is, is really, really staggering. So um, it's, it's a game where PSG might have to play on the front foot, which I don't think will suit. Um, and Manchester City with their sort of solid defence, I'm expecting them to keep PSG at bay and, and do so quite comfortably. So I'm actually going against goals in this one. I know that PSG have been involved in a lot of high-scoring games so far this season. And I wouldn't be surprised if this did turn out to be an end-to-end ding-dong, given the, the openness which PSG play with at the back. But I just think that 
I can see this being quite a comfortable City win, maybe a 2-0, something along those lines where they keep PSG out. Um, so looking at under 3.25 goals uh, on the Asian line, which is around 1.77. So if there's uh, under three goals, we get a, a nice winner. If there's exactly three goals, we get a half win, which obviously would have happened in the in the previous game, which was 2-1 to PSG. And if there's four or more goals, we get a loser. But I, I'm, I'm going against goals in this just purely based on Manchester City's defence and, and what I envisage is their ability to keep PSG at bay. Now, we had a winner in the world-famous podcast treble at the weekend. Uh, we're going to have a Champions League version uh, for this show. Uh, now, it is said that Beyonce and Jay-Z were able to repair their marriage based on their mutual love of this feature. Uh, just for the lawyers, that didn't happen. That definitely didn't happen. Uh, how it works is each of the guys come up with a selection and our lovely traders wrap it up into a lovely treble. Rebel. Who am I going to go to first? I'm going to go to Stinch first, I think. I'll go last, Kev, that's okay. I think oh, I've okay. been quite a lot. And I've got a few options, so I don't oh. want to steal. Oh, what a lovely community-minded guy. guy you are. Tremendous yeah. stuff. Uh, I'm going to go for Jake then. I'm very glad. Thank you, Stinch, because I, I have a feeling that you were going to go with Atalanta or one of yours would have been Atalanta. Um, so I'm throwing them in there I just think that they're, they're going to prove too strong for young boys and um, yeah it should be a nice price to start the treble off around what, 10 to 11 I'm gobsmacked you haven't gone for Liverpool to beat Porto you were so bullish about Liverpool against yeah, Porto yeah. if you put them side by side Liverpool to win or Atalanta to win if you you know I much prefer the Atalanta bet just purely because we don't know what team Klopp's going to put out against Liverpool so okay. uh, I'm a little bit stronger I favour that Atalanta bet and uh, quite yeah, I'll throw that in the treble. So Jake's got his. Mark, what are you going for? Uh, well, Jake's gone for a nice uh, cover drive. I'm just going to play it safe and take the, the 1.33 opportunity of backing <laughs> under, under three and a half goals at Chelsea v Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely stuff. That, that, Take the I mean, that, is, yeah. that is a proper waiting, no run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stinch, uh, are you going to go for a hoik over Cow Corner? What have we got? Those are the two that I was going to go for. I mean, I was going to go <laughs> under 2.5 Chelsea UV. So um, my generosity has uh, come back to fight. <laughs> I was um, led to believe you're at about 10 or 12 options. Yeah. Uh, so you you both gone for bets on a Tuesday. So let me pick something for Tuesday. How about I take something from uh, Mark's playbook then and go for over 2.5 goals in Lille v RB Salzburg. Lovely stuff. That's Tactical. all we have. So I, get, I get blamed if that goes down as well. As <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all O'Hare's fault. It's always Mark's fault anyway. Uh, that's all we have time for on this Champions League edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Remember, every game gets a dedicated preview on betting.betfair.com. We've got lots of Europa League and Conference League uh, previews as well. From Mark, Jake, Stinch and me, it's goodbye for now. 